Hi, everyone. I'm Laurel Simmons, and welcome to another episode of the Right Up Podcast. I'm joined today by Catherine and Nelson Riley. Hi, Catherine, and we've got Diane Allman with us today. We do. She's bringing some great tips for real estate investors and landlords on what to what to do and what not to do as far as when you're working with your tenants, when you're buying and selling properties. Right. Because Diane is a real estate lawyer. She works with both people who are buying real estate as their primary residence and she works with investors. So she says, she, you know, both people who are buying real estate as, in, as investments and people who are selling no, their investments. So it's kind of, it's nice to talk to a lawyer. She's really bubbly and friendly and got lots of great ideas. So I think we should go right to the interview, don't you? Absolutely. Welcome to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping you, the real estate investor, advance to the next level. And now let's join this week's hosts and share ways for you to customize your life. Hi, Diane, and welcome to the Right Club Podcast. It's great that you're here. It's about time we have you on. Well, thank you so much. Happy to be here today. Okay, so... Give us a little background. You're a real estate lawyer, right? A real estate lawyer or a real estate investor lawyer? Because there is a difference. Yes. So both. Happy to say both. So of course, I work with clients who are just purchasing and selling and refinancing their primary residences. That's the bread and butter of our business for sure. But also I have a heavy focus on investor clients as well. Okay. So your investor clients, let's talk about that. What kind of investments do you do you work with? Or I guess, well, what type of investments, what kind of clients do you work with? I guess that's the right question. Yes. So kind of two two categories here. Either I, I'm representing the borrower investor or the lender investor. Um, on the borrower side, they're the ones who are actually acquiring the property. So I'm helping them out with the due diligence, the property searches, doing all of that. And then on the lender side, usually those are the money partners. So I'm helping them set up their private mortgages that will eventually be registered on the title of the property. For the most part, uh, I work in the residential space, so not so much commercial or industrial properties, but we're talking about single family residences, duplexes, triplexes, up to four units, fine quadplexes as well. How are you finding in business these days? Because, you know, with, with interest rates going up and down and nobody quite sure what's going on, like, well, how has that affected your business? Yes. Yeah, so I, I've definitely noticed the shift in my business shifting away from kind of my traditional homeowner clients, the the regular folks, a lot more in the investment space where I'm representing the lenders. So there's a lot, I'm working on a lot more private mortgages. They see, and they, they've got their pros and cons. I truly see them as providing a lot of flexibility for the property owners, whether they're investor property owners or they're the just the regular property owners. We can do, we have the ability to do very fast closings, last minute closings. There are higher rates. So definitely work with your mortgage broker to understand the rates, the brokerage fees, the lender fees. It, it, it is a lot more complicated. I mean, you're right. It is more complicated. But I remember, the, I think one of the very first times, one of the very first sort of meetup groups I went to about real estate investing. And I remember talking to someone, and I was really new at this game. And Someone saying, well, if you get a mortgage, a private mortgage, 
you can do anything you want. I mean, because you're not bound by the rules of the banks and everything. It truly is a private mortgage, right? Like, as long as both parties agree, the sky is pretty much the limit. Isn't that right? For the most part, as long as both the lender and the borrower are in agreement of what that is, certainly the borrower can't just go off and do whatever the heck they want and start registering second and third mortgages after, say, that first private mortgage. There may be restrictions on that, but as long as there's disclosure and some kind of permission and authorization, it is a, it is a very flexible way to provide funding. Yes. Okay, so here's a big question. How did you get into real estate law? Well, I guess maybe it's how did you get into law and then real estate law? Because real estate law is a is a specialty. Um, yes. Yes. Like anything else, right? But yes. Curious. Why law in the first place? Because I know you've traveled a lot and done a lot of things and went through yes. careers. So tell yes. us that story. <laughs> well, so I did my undergrad, like kind of the Coles Notes version. I did my my undergrad in commerce. So I always loved business. Loved that side of it. And I decided that after my undergrad, I did want to do some kind of further study. So was it do an MBA, kind of more of the same of my undergrad, but, you know, in a more detailed perspective, or do I go to law school? So that kind of was the decision. I had a fabulous professor in my undergrad who was um, a corporate law teacher. I, I took like one course, like an intro course. It was for contracts. And he just really encouraged me to really consider law school. And it was just kind of that one conversation that kind of changed my, my trajectory. It's just, you know, one of those special professors, right, that we all seem to have or teachers. And then why real estate? Well, I started out in litigation when I first um, was articling and got called to the bar. I did really enjoy my time in court, you know, presenting arguments, all of that. But the downside of it that you don't really know unless you're in it is the number of hours that you're just drafting documents endlessly all by yourself is probably like 10 hours to maybe one hour in court or 15 hours of prep to one hour in court. So that doesn't totally align with my personality. I'd rather be in front of people at that. I'd rather be talking to my clients, talking to the other side. So switching over from, from litigation to solicitor work, which is what a real estate lawyer is much more uh, suited to my personality. And then lastly, why real estate? You know what? You could ask my mom, but even when I was a little kid, apparently when we would go to friends' houses, I would just start opening cupboards and doors and like seeing how houses were all laid out. And I don't remember that, but she's happy to share that story one day. So it seems like real estate just was always an interest from when I was little. Are there specific times of the month when you get really busy? Because I mean, if you're, I would assume that with, uh, closings on uh, residential, like personal residential homes. You're probably, it's probably more towards the end, beginning of the month. Why people do that, I don't understand because I always try to close, uh, like set dates like you're in the middle of the month, but it's not when I know my lawyer's not going to get slammed. Yes. Yes. I think it's just a psychological effect that people choose the last day of the month, the first day of the month, and the 15th. But there is zero reason to choose those dates. And, and like you, Laurel, I would advise the, the client to pick it, anything else. Pick the fifth. Pick the, maybe you don't like the 13th, but, you know, pick the 14th. There's no reason that you have to pick like the end or the middle of the month. And also something to consider, especially for the, like the traditional like homeowner, you might need to be booking moving trucks 
book your moving truck in the, at some random day in the middle of the month. Don't choose the first or last day of the month. So do you have a, well, I'm sure you have many stories and I'm sure yes. you can't share some of them, but maybe you can share one or two. So what, what was the funniest thing you've ever seen or one of the funniest things you've ever seen in, in, in real estate? Because people don't believe that, that real estate or real estate law can be funny. And I'm thinking, yeah, uh, no, it can. <laughs> So I'd say it's funny in retrospect. It's a funny aspect <laughs> in the heat of it. And it's always, you know, on closing day or the night before closing day that, you know, the you know, SH star, <laughs> it's the fan. Yes. Um, one, one was we had a client who actually, long story short, they moved into the property before their names were registered on title. It was an estate matter. They were permitted to. I saw Catherine like, oh my goodness. No, uh, they were allowed to occupy the property early because it was an estate matter. So we're waiting for it to finalize with the court before their names could get registered on title. So my clients moved in. All of a sudden they hear like little scratching, scratching, scratching. What the heck is that? They realize that it's squirrels in the attic and it's, you know, they're, it's damaging the insulation in the attic, all of those good things. So they call me. I let the the seller know and the seller's lawyer and the seller is adamant. There's no issues with squirrels. It's all in your client's head. Well, you know, they had a pest pest control person come out. They confirmed there were squirrels, but those sellers just adamant were like, there's no issue. We're closing, you know, pay us our money. So it just always happens leading up to closing day. So of course it got resolved. Of course, my clients got reimbursed for that pest control bill because it was you know, ongoing damage that they had to address right away. But in the heat of it, it wasn't that funny. But afterwards, I'm just like, really? These like little animals that are like this big cost so much damage and so much time on that deal. So yeah, that's definitely one of them. Oh, wow. That's hilarious. It's scary at the time because it would be causing an awful lot of pressure for everybody. Yes. Um, so what would be... With something along those lines, and I'm sure you have a whole bunch of other stories, but what would be some tips that you would give to people on what to do? Maybe two or three tips on what to do would be your top recommendations and then also what not to do. So just generally buying real estate, getting into uh, yeah, getting for, as a real estate. Yeah. Real estate investor as a real estate yes. investor. Yes. Yes. So as a real estate investor, you want to make sure that you get what you're paying for. Of course, there's a difference between if the property is move-in ready and it's all it's basically turnkey. In that case, go in there, turn on all of the appliances, make sure everything works. I think that is kind of the key, my, my key tip when you're on the buying side. Use one of those visits right maybe the day before closing to make sure everything is in at least decent working order. Depending on how your agreement is drafted, uh, a lot of them say appliances must be in good working order. Just make sure it works. That is when your lawyer representing you on the purchase has the leverage to make sure those appliances get fixed or get replaced or get from kind of price abatement. If you go into the property after the deal's closed, the money has left my trust account, has gone to the seller's trust account and you know money, money's gone and out of my control, it is an uphill battle to get any kind of price adjustment afterwards. So that's kind of a number one key factor. On the selling side, tenants. If you have tenants in the property, 
if you're on the selling side, be very careful if you are promising to provide vacant possession or if you are, or if the new purchasers are going to be assuming that tenant. There's, you know, I'm sure you have many episodes discussing landlord tenant issues. Very real. It is a big part of my work working with investors. And yeah, it absolutely needs to be managed and it needs to be managed months in advance. Okay, well, let's, let's explore that a little bit because you're right. The, the tenant issue it is a big one. So if I'm buying a property and there are tenants in that property and I'm intending to move into that property and that's, you know, I'm not fighting anything. I'm going to move into that property, right? Yes. I have the right to move into that property. I also, now who has to notify the tenants that they have to move out? I forget, forget which form it is, but is mm-hmm. it the buyer or the seller? I guess it would be the bu- or the seller, right? Yes, because the seller is still the property owner. So they're the one that has standing to give notices to the tenant. So in that situation, you would be moving in as your primary residence. And I'll also put in there your immediate family, either your parents or children. We're not talking about cousins. We're not talking about even siblings. It's got to be your children or your parents or their caregivers is the other exception, but basically your immediate family. If you're moving in, the current owner, the current landlord would be giving those tenants at least 60 days notice that you'll be moving in as your primary residence. If you're on the buying side, I would highly suggest that you put a term in the Schedule A that says, I, the purchaser, declare that I will be living here as my primary residence. So there's no, there's, there's no ambiguity that you are going to be moving in. Um, And the reason for that is if you weren't moving in as your primary residence and you're an investor purchaser now, and you're just going to be turning it into one of your many investment properties, those tenants do not have to leave at all. You're, you're inheriting them. You're inheriting them with their current rent, their current rent rate and all of the terms that are already in their lease. Right. And that, of course, is in Ontario. It could, that could be different in other provinces. I am strictly speaking for Ontario and it's only where I'm licensed. And unfortunately, it is not very favorable to landlords in Ontario. So have you had the situation where um, people have gone to move into their home on possession day and the tenants have not moved out and everything is done properly? Absolutely. Absolutely. What What happened to that case? That is when we are calling in a paralegal. Uh, that specializes in landlord-tenant disputes. Paralegals, this is very much their wheelhouse to know the ins and outs of the landlord-tenant tribunal. So even a landlord right now who might be listening to this and considering selling or they're already in uh, an agreement of purchase and sale and there's a tenant in the house, I would suggest you reach out to to a paralegal that specializes in, in real estate and hire them. Hire them to deliver those notices Make sure the timelines are correct. So for instance, the 60 days notice, minimum of 60 days notice. Laurel, if you were uh, delivering the the notice to your tenant today, being uh, the the 21st of the month, that 60 days actually starts on the 1st. So it's the 1st of the the following month. So it's very important not to deliver that notice on the 2nd because now it's you're essentially giving the tenant almost three uh, three months uh, notice. So timelines are very important. You mentioned earlier that, you know, when you were talking about appliances and moving in and you know, they're in working order. I do know, though, that you can sell and it's, it's kind of this may not be the right term, but you can sell a house as is. Right. <laughs> Which 
sounds kind of weird, but it's take it or leave it, right? If the appliances don't work well, it's as is. So can you talk a little bit about that, what that means? Absolutely. So as is versus good working order, I would I would suggest that any agreement of purchase and sale is essentially the default is as is. If you want to make sure what you're buying, the appliances are in good working order, make sure you add that term to your agreement of purchase and sale in the Schedule A. So as is, there are many reasons that a seller would sell a property as is, and it doesn't mean that there's some, something they're trying to hide. If you're buying a property from an estate, if you're buying the property from somebody who's acting as the power of attorney, those folks don't know the ins and outs of the property, so they're not going to make any promises that they can't confirm. So there are many reasons that uh, a property would be listed as is that isn't, you know, some big detrimental issue. But if you're on the buying side, make sure that if in the situation where you're not in a position to put in a condition for inspection, still do an inspection before you make the offer because you want to make sure, again, what you're buying, make sure the foundation, you know, there aren't any obvious foundation issues, all, all of those good things. Uh, so, yeah, so that's how you can cover yourself on the purchaser side when you're buying an as-is property. Mm-hmm. And the other side of that, too, is that if you're in a, a as-is situation, that does give a little bit of room to negotiate, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, the agreements of purchase and sale, yes, there are a lot of default terms, but a lot of it uh, can be negotiated. So you can be quite creative. Uh, depending on what the deal is. So certainly, yes. And if you're wanting to add in any additional terms, perhaps the real estate agent you're working with isn't that knowledgeable on how to draft any kind of creative deals, reach out to your real estate lawyer. We can certainly help you draft additional terms to add to the agreement before it goes firm. Yeah, that's really good advice. Oh, Catherine, you have a question. I was I was going to ask you about, I've heard the term run evictions. What, what does that mean? Yes. So the definition of a renovation, there's no like clear definition. I mean, yeah, you could Google it. You could probably find some Reddit definition, but there's no true legal definition. So what we're talking about is the, the landlord wants to do such significant renovations that the tenant has to move out because it's a full debt job. It's a full, you know, the, say the service to the property needs to be cut for an extended period of time as part of those renovations. And the, and therefore, the landlord is serving a notice of eviction because of significant renovations. So the definition of significant renovations, that's where there's a bit of a gray area. And a lot of tenants do challenge renovations because they're like, hey, these renovations don't need to happen. You don't need to kick me out to to do these renovations. I want to stay. So it is it is kind of a battleground, I would say, in the landlord-tenant tribunal. One of the things that I've heard with that is that if there is a, I want to say, renoviction, but that the landlord has to get first right of refusal to that tenant in order to bring them back in, but yet they can only increase that rent with the set amount by the landlord tenant board. Uh, yes. It just yeah. Yes. Um it it's extremely limiting uh for on the landlord side. It's extremely restrictive, I I would I should say. It is uh, what I'm seeing more often is that the landlord is actually trying to help the tenant move permanently. 
So they may even help and put down a like the first and last on a totally different property to get that tenant completely out. But now you're playing almost real estate agent to help your current tenant try and find a new place. So it is it, it is quite the situation. Yes, it, it's not it's not an easy way to evict a tenant. It's almost a, a maybe a different way of doing. Yeah, what was the term? Um, cash for keys, but, cash, but taking yeah. it to another le- level, right? It, it, it is. It is. Yes. So cash for keys is a, is another strategy where the landlord is paying the tenant potentially quite the premium to move out of the property. I would say the cash for keys situation is usually when the landlord, the property owner is trying to sell the house. And perhaps that tenant is still partway through their one-year lease. And they're only six months into that lease. Theoretically, that closing date can't be until the end of that tenant's one-year lease. You can't necessarily, you can't break it early without, without um, consent on both sides. Uh, so again, that's very restrictive. So what, ta- what some landlords do is pay the tenant a decent chunk of money or many months worth of rent to encourage them to move elsewhere and to, on consent, break that lease and, and move out. So I didn't realize that was the case that, because I always thought that if you were moving in as a buyer, that the tenant had to leave if you're buying that property and moving in. And it didn't matter what the state of the lease was. No. So even if you're moving in as your primary residence, Laurel, in one of our like original questions, that tenant has a valid lease that... You can't just, the, the homeowner can't just like break it. You can't just break it. So it's very, it's very important to know the details of the lease of the property you're about to buy if you're going to be living there as your primary residence. So that kind of goes back to if you're on the selling side, make sure you understand what you're promising. If you're promising vacant possession because the new owner is going to live there as the primary residence. This is exactly where I'm suggesting you bring in the assistance of you. I, I know your podcast always talks about a power team. Part of your power team, especially if you are an investor, either a purchaser or a, a purchaser or a seller, is a paralegal. You need that the assistance of a paralegal in many of these matters. And I'm thinking then that if you're a, a landlord, that it might be advantageous after the first year or whatever, the first term that you go to a month-to-month lease because then you're not bound by that defined term, right? Right. So that's actually the default. So if you sign up a tenant for a one-year lease on month 13, it just automatically goes to months. So that's a, that's another thing for the investors listening today is if you've got a tenant and their one-year lease is coming up, you don't have to sign them up for another year. You can just leave it as is and it will just go to month. And that does give you a bit more flexibility if you choose to sell the property sometime in the future. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a really good strategy. As you say, it does give you a little more more flexibility because goodness knows in Ontario, the landlord's hands are pretty tied when it comes to selling properties that are tenanted. Unless it's commercial. That's a totally different. Right. Total, it's completely different kettle of fish. I would say that the... The power structure on a commercial deal, completely reversed. It's more on the property owner. The landlord is in this, usually in the stronger position to, like if there's missed rent payments, if there's all of that, we're talking about commercial, the landlord could, with very short notice, can go in and just change the locks and do all those types of things. In the residential space, 
Do not change the locks on your tenant if they stop paying rent. Do not cut utility services. Do not do any of that because once you eventually get to the landlord-tenant board, they are not going to look on that very kindly. And potentially you could be fined for doing things like that. So you're a really busy person. You've got a full practice. You're, you, this is your law firm. You've got employees and you have other lawyers on on hit? Yeah. Yeah. My business partner and I were old high school buddies. We started Integris. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There you go. And you have a new baby, right? I do. Yes. Yes. So he's a little old. He's like 14 months as of wow. yesterday. Yes. Yeah, so time has flown. But yes, I has a whole village behind me in a, a to help with all of that. But yes, as a business owner, yeah, I was back to work pretty quickly, but I, you know, I truly love it. So it, it wasn't too bad. It, yeah, it takes a lot to, to handle something like that because babies are, oh, I don't know. They tend to be work. Darn it. But they do. <laughs> yes. And for some reason, they don't stick to a schedule. I can't just lock them into my calendar neatly. So it's a little all over the place. But thank goodness my husband is extremely supportive. My in-laws are amazing. We've got lots of friends who always want to hold my little guy. So yeah, fortunately, we've got a lot of, we've got daycare, you know, we've got all the things on all our, our bases covered as much as you possibly can. Yeah, you can't cover everything, but yeah, you're right. You said you need a village to, to, to raise a child. It's true. I don't know how anybody does it these days, like having a full-time job, like both partners. And God forbid you're by yourself raising a child and running a business. And I, I don't even know how people do that. I don't. Yeah. Kudos to all of those young yes. parent households. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So you're located in the what Hamilton area? Uh, yes. Yeah, so our head office is actually in Oakville. I live in Burlington. We've got an office in Burlington also. So we're spread out kind of across the GTA from Mississauga to Oakville to Burlington and to Hamilton. But one of the benefits of COVID is that the banks do allow for electronic signatures. So now we are able to work province-wide. As long as the real estate is in Ontario, we can absolutely help. And we're meeting our clients just like this on Zoom. So and you could even be down in Florida and we could help you, you know, close your real estate deals. And I say that, but a lot of my investor clients are, you know, elsewhere across North America or overseas, enjoying their life and their, you know, si signing deals with me. Yes, I remember it wasn't very long ago when we had to actually have someone come to the house to sign so that they could witness us signing documents and going, wow. <laughs> In fact, you're... Although COVID wasn't the, the best, I would say, thing to happen, it, it really did kind of push some, some I'm going to say, industries or, because, I mean, I'm sorry, but the law field is like, they're anachronistic sometimes, right? It's just so old, so tradition-bound. And it just oh, yes. kind of drop kicked them into the future. They didn't have a choice. Banking and law, yes. Oh, God. Catapulted. Probably, I don't think it's an over-exaggeration, but approximately 15 years into the future. And that happened within two weeks, the first two weeks of COVID. So for, I would say, for lawyers of a particular generation, it was a welcome, a very welcome change. Because I would say all of us were kind of already ready to go and we're meeting virtually with clients when we were able to. So yes, yeah, so now we can do it with all the deals. Right. Okay. So 
What are you, are you taking, do you ever get to take time off? Do you get to go vacations and all that? Certainly. You, Laurel, you don't know where I am right now. I could be, you know, down south. I could be, you know, all the places. But today I'm in Burlington. So I'm, I'm local today. But yes, no, absolutely. Fortunately, it's summertime right now and we're recording this and definitely enjoying some time up north at my in-law's cottage in Muskoka. So taking full advantage of that. And, you know, the great thing is, as long as there's a decent internet connection, um, I'm still working full time from wherever I am. No, no big backpacking trips, but I would say that has more to do with having a 14 month old. Not really sure if going to Thailand at the moment, right? <laughs> is like on the docket, but no, no. I said that though, I was just talking to one of our tenants and she's, they're going off to a, a vacation in Prince Edward Island. And she said, darn, it was so easy when the baby was a baby. Cause I just strapped him to my chest and that was it. I went where I went. And now that, you know, it's four years old, five years old, like. It's a lot harder. <laughs> Pros and cons. Pros and cons. Yeah, the 14 month old, you just, well, you're going where I'm going and you can't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. I think, Casper, it's time for the lightning round. So we're going to ask you questions. And, Catherine, Captain's going to start. And, Diane, all you have to do is just the first, you know, first answer that comes to mind. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 M-T-G-T-E-A-M. And check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. Okay, we are ready. And great advice, great, great tips for real estate investors. So thank you so much, Diane. So if you can go back and tell your 18-year-old self something, what would it be? Oh, so 18, uh, I, I might age myself a little bit more, maybe post-university, post I would say buy real estate, buy a condo once I had my first real job and a, a true paycheck, and then I could still rent it out and still do all the traveling that I did do, but I should have bought real estate earlier. Excellent answer. Yeah. You know what? A, a lot of people say that. And I, I say that too. It's just, we didn't know, right? <laughs> we just didn't know. And especially if you don't have parents who have invested. Because parents can sometimes say, well, why don't you think about it? Or if you, as an 18-year-old an or 20-year-old, see your parents doing it and start seeing some of the results of it, then that means more. But when you're right, when you're just, you're 18 and you're out, going to university or college or whatever, your first job, and you go, yeah, this is, I got money to spend. And you don't think about 20 or 30 or 40 or even 50 years down the road, do you? Well, I may have not listened to my parents. I did have the benefit of two parents that were self-employed in a small business. Oh, so I did get the inside look on that, but, <laughs> but I was too interested in packing my bags and jumping on planes at the time. Well, and you know what, when you're 18, that's kind of, that's, I think, one of the things you need to be doing because yeah, yeah. Right. yeah okay next question what's 
one attribute that you would pick for yourself that has made you successful? So it's a made up word, but I think the fact that I usually view a problem that everything is figure outable. So there's usually a solution, but there's usually something that can be done. So it's kind of along the lines of determination. I'm kind of a, a stubborn person. That would be the negative term, but a positive term would be tenacious. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Figure outable. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to use that one in Scrabble. I wonder how many points yes. I can get for it. <laughs> That's yeah. excellent. So as you've gone through your your career your networking, mentoring, what is the best advice you've ever received? That kind of like the catchphrase would be giver's gain. Whenever I'm going to like a networking event, I, you know, a live, I think a lot of folks find networking events, you kind of feel anxious, it's kind of like icky, you're trying to, you know, generate business. But if you're there to try and understand what the other person, what their challenges are, and maybe you know somebody you can introduce them to, I find that just that more the giving attitude to try and help somebody else solve a problem, help them figure out something, it has just been returned in spades in, in other ways or that, oh, that that person introduced me to somebody else. So it's, I, I would say that's kind of my approach on, on networking and business development for sure. Well, that's really good. That's really good. Okay, last question. Because you mentioned something towards the beginning about personality type that you had and why you went into real estate law, moved over from litigation. If someone came to you and said, I want to be a lawyer, how would you describe the best things about real estate law? Like um, in terms of just you know, kind of the personality you need and the whatever, attention to detail, whatever it is, what would you say to that person? Yes, yes. You need to really love short deadlines, which just kind of up my alley. We're talking about deadlines of, you know, a month or less talking about when you receive the agreement of purchase and sale to a closing. You definitely need to be able to think on your feet when you're talking about a day of closing or day before closing and some problem pops up and have a problem solver kind of attitude. I don't find, for the most part, I don't find as a real estate lawyer, if you're there with an adversarial attitude, it's not helpful. Everybody wants to get the deal closed and everybody wants money to transfer and, and get the property transferred. So it's, yeah, it's very much that kind of mindset. And, and maybe a tip, I would say, try and get to know your colleagues in the industry because it, it, like other real estate lawyers in the area that you work with often, just call them up, ask them for a virtual coffee, just like this. Because inevitably, there's going to be a problem deal. And it sure helps when you're not, you know, best friends with the other lawyer. You're still representing your client to your to the fullest. Um, but it's sure helpful to know the lawyer on the other side to be like, hey, there's nothing unusual going on. We need an extension for this reason. Like there's there. Yeah, there's a lot of camaraderie that can be built um, and a lot of trust that goes a long way. Yeah, actually, I can really see that because, you know, we're all humans and you're going to trust someone whom you've met before and created a relationship with. I mean, you're like you say, you're not best bosom buddies. You're just, no. but I, you know, I've seen you, I've talked to you. I have, I have a relationship with you. I know that you're not a fly by night, you know, whatever business. And, and it goes both ways, right? You give, he gives, she gives, and it works. Right. Yeah. No, parties. absolutely. Yeah. And I, I find it's worked out quite well so far. Yeah. Good. 
Well, Diane, thank you so very much. We really appreciate your time and your insights. How can people reach you? What's the best way for people to reach you? So by email, so Diane, D-I-A-N-E at integrislaw.ca. You can also look me up on our website, integrislaw.ca. And then of course, you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Super. That's wonderful. Well, thank you very much. And I wish you, it is the summer as we're recording this. So I wish you the rest of a great summer and a good fall. All right. You as well. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. Well, that was a great episode. I really loved the tips that she gave us. And there was a lot of things that that I would never have thought of, and which was great. But the other thing that she also gave was some words that she uses that were so apt, figure outable, giver's gain, scattershot. The yeah, kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. And you know what? It, it's nice to see someone enjoying what they're doing and lawyers like anyone else are people and they have great you know they have all have backstories and they all have they enjoy what they do or sometimes they don't enjoy what they do just like all the rest of us and what we do right it's just you know it's just your, her path in life and she's having a good time so and helping her clients she really likes real estate law we can tell so Catherine, where should people go to find more information about the rate club www.therightclub.com, where you're going to find thousands of hours of information and resources for those that are in the business of real estate investing. All right. And with that, we will say goodbye for this episode. And as we say, please customize your life because that's what investing in real estate is all about. Thanks for listening to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping all levels of real estate investors advance to the next level and help you customize your life. Be sure to tune in next week at rightclub.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you get a few seconds, please rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps the show get noticed by others like you, and we truly appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe.